What's up, Doc? Good morning! Oh, and in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Greetings and salutations. Hello, Poppy. Hello there. Kindly ho, neighborinos! You are cleared to land on Ducky Bay 77, a podcast about movies, music, TV, and anything else these guys can think to talk about. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Dayton Johnson, and with me tonight is my good friend and former Suncoast co-worker, Brad Kozo. How you doing, Brad? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Ready to talk some music. Uh, absolutely. All right. So uh, we're on a dark desert highway, cold wind in our hair, because we are going to talk about the classic Eagles record, Hotel California. The history of the Eagles begins early in 1971, when Linda Ronstadt recruited two newcomers, Don Henley and Glenn Fry, for her band. Bernie Leiden and Randy Meisner also joined the band, and the four musicians appeared on Ronstadt's self-titled album. These four became the founding members of the band that would eventually be called the Eagles. They signed with David Geffen and Asylum Records and were sent to Aspen to develop as a band. In October of 71, they performed their first gig under the name Teen King and the Emergencies. The origin of the name, the Eagles, can be linked to an outing in the Mojave Desert fueled by peyote and tequila. Their self-titled debut was released in June of 72 and yielded three top 40 hits. Take It Easy reached number 12, while Witchy Woman and Peaceful Easy Feeling reached number 9 and number 22, respectively. The second album, Desperado, was released in 1973. Henley and Fry began collaborating and co-wrote eight of the 11 songs in the album. The album gave us Tequila Sunrise and the title track as well. During the recording of the third album, On the Border, Don Felder joined the band. Fry and Henley wanted to sound more rock and less country. The album yielded more top 40 singles. Already Gone reached number 32, and Best of My Love reached number 1. One of these nights, the fourth album, was released in 75. Singles included the title track, Lying Eyes, and Take It to the Limit. This album was the first of four consecutive number one albums from the band. This was also the last to feature Bernie Leighton on guitar. Joe Walsh joined the band, and in 1976, The Greatest Hits, 1971 through 1975, was released. It became the highest-selling album of the 20th century. It sold 38 million copies in the U.S. and 42 million worldwide. The Eagles were primed and taking over the world. They would soon release one of the greatest rock albums of all time. All right, so when you start hearing songs or even thinking about this record, what's the first thing that pops into your mind, Brad? um very hot weather it's just <laughs> it's it's a summer record it, it it reminds you of it's funny that it takes place you know it's called hotel california but i i feel it has a very like tijuana old school like mexico kind of feel to it it's very it, it feels very relaxed very um a, a great a great tavern great tavern album yeah they uh, actually one of the comments the band members called it was uh at least the first song, um, they called it uh, Mexican reggae. It was the sound yeah, that okay. they heard. So, so you're, you're not wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I uh, this song reminds me of a lot of my childhood. Uh, it was a, fa- a favorite of my mother's. Um, we listened to it all the time in the house. It was always on the radio. Um, it was right. It came out right around the time I was starting to develop my own taste in music. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's one of those that I think every every uh, record collection should have this in there because it is, I consider it probably the, one of the greatest American uh, classic rock records of all time. And it's probably my favorite record of the seventies by far. So. Well, it gets also stuck into that pigeonhole that a lot of really great albums do of getting overplayed. Mm. Halen 1984, Led Zeppelin, you know, Led Zeppelin four, right. Hotel California. You've heard it again and again, but when you listen to it as a whole, it takes on a it takes on a little bit different different taste. It doesn't feel repetitive, right? Right, because each song has, um, even though there's a 
there's definitely a, a theme throughout the entire record, but every mm-hmm. song um, definitely has its own sound and yeah. uh, and own, its own mark on uh, music history. So yeah. Um, and we're going to get into that. So uh, before we get into track by track, I want to go through a few facts about the record that I dug up. Um, it was recorded between March and October of 1976. Mm-hmm. Released on December 8th, 1976, it, which we are now coming up on the 45th anniversary. Um, it was the first record with Joe Walsh. Uh, he replaced uh, founding member uh, Bertie Leenan. Um, It was the last record with bassist Randy Meisner. And upon its release, it did, uh, you know, do very well. Um, it sold 26 million copies in the United States since then and 32 million worldwide. Mm-hmm. Um, it is their second best-selling record uh, behind their greatest hits album, which incidentally is the number one selling record of all time. Yeah. Which is impressive if you think about that. So, all right. So track by track. And I've requested that we do the title track last because- um, of course, there's, there's so much to talk about on that one. So, mm-hmm. all right. So, uh, the first, it was actually the uh, song New Kid in Town. Um, uh, lead vocals on, on this one was by Glenn Fry. Um, it's the first single off the record. It did reach number one on Billboard. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, there's actually three singles, and we'll cover each one of those. But yeah, it did hit number one. Um, what do you think about this song? Um, it, it has a sort of kind of a tone in the same way that Peaceful Easing Feeling does. Um, you, you, it is mellow and there are many songs that are mellow, but it does have a very, just a constant groove. It's, it's pleasant, not pleasant. And like, oh, it's just so pleasant and nice. And, but it, it, it relaxes you, you know, it, it, it very much can take you and me like, just, just listen just listen to this. This is, you know, and, and that's how I feel about the song and hearing it. And um, it's another song that even sounds really good live. You know, it doesn't, right. you know, it sounds almost like it could just be just straight up acoustic, but um, it, and it's a good, it, it's one of those good second tracks. Like, you know, they always say like, Oh, the, the big, the, you know, do your top track first, but you don't want to overdo it with your second right. track. So you right. want to, you want to slow it down a little bit. So it's a good position for the, for definitely this record on yeah. the, on the album. How about you when you first started? Well, I really, I love the harmonies, which honestly is something you always get with, with the Eagles. I mean, the, the mm-hmm. voice work with these guys is just amazing. Um, but it's, yeah, it's at, at first listen, it kind of just sounds like um, almost like uh, a kind of like a love song, but it's, you know, fear of, uh, you know, Hey, I'm popular now, but somebody else is going to show up and that kind of replace me so easily. Yeah. And there is a bit of that, but it's also it touches on kind of uh, how the band felt, at least Henley and Fry, when they first came to LA and they were the new kids in town, you know, as far as the music was concerned. Yeah. And then when they got to this point, they knew there's some young guns right behind them going to take their place, you know? And so it was kind of like, you know, it kind of works on both levels. And mm-hmm. it wasn't until years later, I really started listening to the lyrics. I kind of started picking up on that kind of thing. Yeah. Just till very recently, I started doing that. Yeah. And it's, and there's a, a lot of the songs on this record kind of have that feel like the first couple of times through, you think it's one thing and then you listen to it again mm-hmm. and uh, it's, it's something different. So yeah. Um, it's a great song. It, like you said, it's a good second track off the mm-hmm. album. So it's well-placed. All right. So um, this next one, life in the fast lane, uh, a lead vocals again by Henley. Uh, this one, the opening riff was a, a guitar exercise that Joe Walsh did and they heard yeah, it. it just, just a doodle right yeah and then they're like oh we got to put that in a song and so and then the lyrics were inspired by um <laughs> uh glenn fry's uh drug dealer when they were out oh, to yeah. drive around what in his in, the, in his guy's corvette and he told him to slow down he's like hey man life in the fast lane <laughs> yeah he's like this guy is crazy right but hey it led to a you know a great song i mean um you know it's uh it's just one of those things where you start listening to and it's fun and um you know you kind of sing along to it and the lyrics are great they're smart and uh what what makes me laugh is it's such a cautionary tale for people yeah uh, that unfortunately most celebrities seem to ignore <laughs> you know yeah. like, it explores you know excess and everything else and uh and so many of them really don't seem to figure it out until many years later 
Um, and the Eagles definitely had some major, major excess. Yeah, apparently they were recording uh, part of this record uh, in the same studio where Black Sabbath was recording. Mm. And apparently uh, there was so much cocaine uh, that even the guys in Black Sabbath commented about how much cocaine. Yeah. Were, that says something to you right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, this actually was the third single released off the album. Uh, it reached number 11 on Billboard. So. Uh, did not quite break the top 10, um, which surprises me because I think yeah, it's much, think much more of a sing-along song than uh, than New Kid is. Yeah, I hear this one a lot more on the radio than I hear New Kid in Town. Yeah. A- and a great third track because we slow down a little bit for a New Kid in Town, but don't get too comfortable. Right, right. Because we're going to do this. And, um, you know, they were trying to experiment like Henley and uh, Glenn Fry wanted to be a little bit more rock, you know, right. Right. They were more accustomed to that Crosby, Stills, Nash crowd, uh, uh, Joni, uh, Joan Baez or uh, right. Patty Smith, you know, right. and things like that, Neil Young, but they wanted to go a little bit rock and roll. And then when they were doing those, did they do all first four albums with Glenn Johns? Um, I was believe- it here when they changed. Yeah, I think this is actually the first record without. And I know Bernie Leadon, um, the guitar player that left, was a big influence on uh, the country style. Yeah, so, so his guitar playing wasn't as rock. Right. Felder's was, but it wasn't. Joe Walsh, too. Right. Yeah, Joe, but yeah. You, yeah Walsh was the, the better lead. But like I said, this song just they experimented with effects and, uh, you know, grunger guitars and, you know, changed up like a little bit of voice box work. Right. Um, uh, you know, Henley talked about, you know, when they worked with Glenn Johns, you could only have a few microphones around the drum set. He's like, no, I want, I want a microphone on every drum set. You know, I want, right. I want a bunch of microphones in front of the guitar and it's stuff like that. So they got to crank it up a notch. So it definitely was a, a different take. And usually this is one of the ones that I definitely, I, I hear it come on the radio and I'm like, oh, I've heard it so many times, but after listening to it, I'm like, listen to it all the way through. And it's just yes. this kind of great slick guitar battle between a uh, Felder and Walsh. It's really great. Well, it, what really like uh, strikes me is like, especially towards the end, the guitar all the way through is really good, especially uh, uh, Walsh and the solo. But if you really listen to the end as it plays out, um, it's it's really and it's really cool. And then the, towards the end, there's also a nice little uh, bass riff that goes along with the guitar. And yeah, you're right. The this album is a little bit more rock than the previous ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and this this song in particular definitely shows you yeah. that you know because I mean it's a great riff all the way through. You know, yeah. I mean it's a little bit harder edge. So yeah. Absolutely. Great, great song. And they're kind of joking around in the, in the, in the background. Yeah. You know, (laughs) I'm like, who are these guys? Right. Right. So yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's definitely one of the songs you hear a lot on the radio. Um, And it's probably covered by a lot of people too, way more than say new kin town is. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, you definitely hear this one a little bit more than the other tracks off the record. It's got a great break, like about three quarters away through, you know, just to, we're not done yet. We're just going to, we're just going to close it out and kind of warning you, like, here we go. We're going to close the song out and they, and they do a great job with it. Yeah. It's a great track. Great track. Okay. So now we slow it down a little bit again um, with the fourth track on the album, uh, wasted time uh, lead vocal again by Henley, of course. Uh, This time we got, uh, Glenn Fry playing piano and Joe Walsh is playing the organ, mm-hmm. which is, which is kind of cool. Um, so uh, once again, fantastic harmonies on this song. I mean, it's, it never ceases to amaze me how good, even on the live album they have later that their harmonies are, are just as good as they are on the record. And it just always, yeah. seems, it, it just seems, it never ceases to amaze me. Um, I like, especially towards the end uh, and like the last minute, it starts to build and then it drops out. It's just a little bit of, you know, real quiet. And you just got Henley's voice and then it builds again all the way to the end. I'm like, it's just, it's, you know, he kind of takes you up and then down and then back up again and it finishes out. It was, it's an emotional song. And, um, you know, the lyrics ask good questions, you know, Hey, you know, we, we've messed this relationship up and, you know, was it all wasted time? And then the very end of the song, he's like, maybe someday we'll figure out that this wasn't all for a waste. Maybe we learned something from it. So, 
another another great song. What do you think about it? I it is a really great song, and I, what I love about this band is that they're so versatile. And yes. like, okay, who's going to play piano? Who's going to play, you know, Hanley will jump up and play guitar. He'll sing, you know, right. Glenn, Fr- everybody is moving around, but like you were saying before, it's those harmonics. Yes. Yeah. And that's the thing As simple as the song is you take away those harmonics and you have a terrible song, you know, <laughs> it's, it's close to a seven minute song, right? Uh, this one. No, th- no, this one, uh, I feel like this minutes. one's a long one. It feels long, I think, because you have, the, yeah. but um, yeah, it's, it's that, that whole, and it feels like that he, that Henley is ma- almost making up the lyrics at the very end. <laughs> it, but, it does kind of sound that way. You're right. You know, it's almost like he's, you know, like you said, he's like almost talking mm-hmm. for a second and not singing, but just still, you know, telling you, he's asking that question. It was it all just wasted time. And you really hear him asking that. Yeah, you know, and that's what makes that song work because you take away one piece and the song doesn't work at all. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I agree. Um, now we'll cover obviously the waste of time uh, uh, reprise, reprise, however you want to mm-hmm. say it. There's there's always that debate. Um, this one was actually uh, the strings were arranged and composed by uh, Jim Ed Norman, who worked a lot with. Uh, bands in the 70s and is part of that southern california sound mm-hmm. and later went on to be the head of warner brothers oh, wow. records yeah so nice little i mean it's it's nice to hear it i'm not quite sure i kept digging um to see why they did that and carry over to side two um but i couldn't find any explanation yeah uh, so it's it's unusual i mean to hear but uh it, it's i mean it kind of connects both sides of the record, I guess, is why yeah. they did it, maybe. I don't know. But, you know, it sounded good, you know, and it's, it's only a minute and a half, so it's short. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's get on to um, the next track. Uh, this one I really, really like, um, Victim of Love, which is really cool for a couple of reasons. One, uh, the solo was great. Don Felder is mm-hmm. really good on this. It was, And this song was actually... When Felder joined the band, um, he was told, um, if you really want to write songs with Fry and Henley, bring a bunch of unfinished songs to them and let them finish them. Yeah. So he brought uh, a tape with like 10, 15 songs on there. And one of them was this. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, the riff, the opening riff, of the song was his. And once again, we have Henley doing the lyrics or doing the vocals. And, uh, such a great opening riff, you know, and, and all the way through. And, you know, there's so much to this song, uh, which really I found cool in doing my research. Um, uh, Felder was actually supposed to do the vocals. Yeah, he was. And, but I guess it wasn't up to standards for the rest of the band. So yeah, Henley took over, but, uh, well, the really cool thing was when they recorded it, um, everything, but the lead vocals and the harmonies were all done in one live take. Oh, wow. I know. And you I mean, listening to it again tonight, I was like, wow, that is really good for one, for a one live take like that. Mm-hmm. So what do you think about this song? I mean, it is a great song and yeah, it was supposed to be Felder doing the vocals and the Eagles did allow other members of the band that weren't Henley and Fry to have their moment in the sun. You right. know, Meisner obviously would take it to the limit and we'll, we'll talk more about him later. Right. Um, Unfortunately, Felder just wasn't a, that good of a lead vocalist. And he right. really, really wanted it because it was his song and everybody else kind of had their moment. But Glenn Fry told him, basically, you're not Don Henley. <laughs> right. That's exactly what he told him. He goes, it's great, but you're just not Don Henley. They did. Re- I've, I don't know if they ever have released like a bootleg of, but they did record Felder doing Victim of Love. It just... You know, just didn't hit that mark, you know, and just Henley's a natural. He's just, he's a natural singer the way that Marlon Brando is an actor. He just got it. He's just got it. But yeah, Yeah. it's just a great song. And, and we're also, we're building back up. Right. We went low down to to wasted time and now we're building back up just a little bit. We're not going like as fast with a life in the fast lane, but we're building you back up to a little bit of get, get in the groove a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, I love how if you listen to this throughout the entire song, um, 
it seems like the drums and the guitar were really synced, like, you know, almost not, you know, obviously not hitting the same notes, but hitting their notes at the same time through a lot of the song. And it, it's, it's a great rock song, you know, like I said, the guitar, the opening riff all the way to the end, the solo, um, it just, it's really, really good. You can totally tell. I mean, if you listen to the guitars, you can tell, um, especially when you look at stuff that Felder did later, this is, was his song. You know, I mean, yeah. it has it has his signature all over it, mm-hmm. um, and and of course it has the great lyrics that you know from Henley and Fry. So it's it's a you're right up and, and the record goes up and down. It's it's so paced so well. This brings you right back. Hey, let's get back to the rock again with some mm-hmm. with some great guitar, great lead, some really good lyrics, and once again, you know, this whole album, you know, it's a concept album that doesn't really tell us a, a direct story, but right. every every song addresses you know heartbreak and the loss of innocence and you know you know learning from your mistakes and not learning from your mistakes and you know all these all these different and they're all in there throughout and it's it's funny that you know when you listen to it you kind of pick up on the reoccurring themes um and like i said the first time through you when you hear the songs on the radio you don't pick that up but once you sit down and listen to it from first to the end you're Mm -hmm. like there's a lot of the same themes, a lot of the same feelings going on throughout this whole record. And, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, this one is, it's such a, it's such a great song. Sorry. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to gush a little bit. So, all right. So here we come um, on, onto the first of two songs uh, not written by uh, Henley or Fry. Um, this one is written by Joe Walsh and uh, Joe Vitale. Pretty Maids all in a row. And of course, Walsh gets to sing it. Mm-hmm. it's a good song i i really love the lyrics but i gotta honestly say it's probably my least favorite track on the record and the thing about joe walsh is he doesn't have a great voice no but it's <laughs> but it but it's a likable but it, yeah, yeah it works it's a likable voice and the thing is when he joined this band they became like deep purple mock two or Phil Collins joining Def Leppard. He added, you know, every, I think every band needs a, needs an ax man, yeah. you know, and he was the ax man, but he was also a very talented songwriter too. Cause he was, you know, a, he was a solo artist. Yeah. He was a solo artist before he joined and afterwards. So, and they've even said he was going to be the one that was going to succeed, you know, if, if the band went their separate ways and for the most part, he did. I mean, Henley yeah. did up too instead of Fry, but yeah, he was a solo artist before and after. But yeah, it's a very pretty song, you know, for, it is. for, for the kind of songs that he had previously done and for the, you want to call him the, the jokester or the jester of the group, you know, right. for that person to do this type of song was kind of a, a big step. Like, yeah. you, you know, him saying, oh, you know, he came up with the riff for life and fast lane. That's easy to believe. Right. This song, like this guy. He, this yeah. guy's got, got a, such a sensitive heart, you know, but I, I like the song. It's, it's, it's sweet. Yeah. It's, I mean, I started reading uh, through the lyrics, trying to place it. And I, once again, we're talking about, you know, missed opportunities. Uh, life goes by so fast. And, you know, there are some that think it's actually about, um, a, you know, I believe his daughter passed away is what I read. I haven't oh, confirmed wow. that. So don't quote me on that later but some mm-hmm. people feel he was written about a loss in his life a personal tragedy and you, you know you can kind of see that um with you know it deals with uh you know some of the themes life goes by so fast regret regrets you know loss of innocence and i mean yeah it's it's a beautiful song and it definitely doesn't doesn't sound like the same kind of song from you know uh life's been good you know to me and you know the other stuff he did and mm-hmm. later in, in his career and you're like yeah, you're right. It's it's those are guitar field. songs, right? This is this is actually plays piano and uh, organ or synthesizer. Sorry, on this track. <laughs> so, once again, showing the versatility of these guys, mm-hmm. be able to you know switch instruments like they do. Um, I mean, it's not a bad song, and I wouldn't necessarily skip it. But um, like I said, it's my least favorite track, and mm-hmm. I, I hate to say that because it is it's a, still a pretty song. It's not a bad song. It's just. You know, I'm not, you know, it's not like, oh, I can't wait to listen to that song. It's yeah. just, it's just there. So he's just such a likable guy. 
Yeah, he's I just, like when he was a, on the Drew Carey show. Life. He was a lot of fun on that. He's just a <laughs> he's just a lovable guy. He's got a funny, great voice, a funny personality. He's always got the best jokes in the band. You know, he's he's just a likable guy. I'm a little surprised, uh, considering especially the band's history, um, that he's actually still around. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, there's just some people that were in the industry. You're like, really, they're still alive? Yeah, you know, so. All right, so uh, here we come to uh, the second song, not written by uh, Glenn Fry or Don Henley. Um, mm-hmm. uh, this one, of course, is by Randy Meisner, uh, written and sung by, uh, and the song is "Try to Love Again." Um, uh, see, the guitar solo is done by uh, Glenn Fry on this one. Mm-hmm. Change it up a little bit. Okay, so this is one of those songs, especially after listening to it quite a bit lately this song is rapidly becoming one of my favorites on the record really yeah and it at first i just thought oh it's just a simple love song um but it gets to show off uh randy's voice um a little bit uh and you also get to really hear if you listen you can really hear the bass the bass line in the back and it's not so much in the background it's kind of right on well almost up front with the guitars and it's a really well-written song um, lyrically, musically, uh, it just it feels like everything kind of works really, really well together. And considering um, it's his song, yeah, that's, that's kind of impressive. I, I have to say, out of every member of the Eagles, Meisner seems the most uncomfortable with that label. Yeah, he just never seemed to really, you know, want to be there. I feel, especially at this time. I mean, this is going to be his last yeah you know appearance on an eagles record they lucked out when they yeah. got timothy b schmidt after this um because you know take it to the limit no one else can do that song yeah and you know and that was that was the closer for 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 their shows you know or i'm sorry it wasn't the closer it was the encore closer so they would come back on and do take it to the limit but it took so much out of him that it was nice to hear that he at least got to participate in this in this album and have a solid track that was a good track that obviously um, focused on his strengths, his voice, and I, that he didn't. I feel like he thought he was on his way out and wanted out, but he didn't pull any punches. You know, he went all the way with it, and right. I, and I have to respect that, even though he did leave the band after this. But you have to respect that he went all the way. And win, win for it all the way. Yeah, it's, it's, um, I know he went on later to do a couple of solo albums, but obviously never quite, uh, got the fame, um, that the other member, members did. And he even said that, you know, like with the Beatles, everybody knew the members of the Beatles. You really didn't know that with the Eagles, because I was actually talking to somebody the other day when the, when their songs came on the radio. And I pointed out that, you know, Don Henley was singing the song. They're like, oh, I didn't even know he, you know, he played drums and sang. And, and so, I mean, there's, there's, there's people like us that know who's playing what and, you know, who's singing which song and whatever. Um, but Randy Meisner was on. He said, look, people don't know who I am. You know, yeah. it's like people are not going to recognize me on the street. So he, his first solo album was called, you know, Randy Meisner. And then uh, two albums later, he released another one called Randy Meisner. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it, but when it comes down to it, I mean, it's, this is definitely a great song to go on this record because he did leave and kind of left his we'll call it legacy. Um, I mean, it's, it was, you know, once again, you have great harmonies throughout the song. Um, it's probably the most uplifting, most positive song on the record without being too positive, you know, saying, yeah, I've gotten burned over and over again, but I'm going to try you know, trying to find that love again. And, and I'm going to try, even though I might keep screwing it up, I'm still going to try. It's just, it's kind of optimistic with a little bit of pessimism thrown inside in there too. So yeah, this um, is the underrated track of the album. Yes. I would definitely agree with that. Too. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And not to take anything away from the Beatles, but the Beatles use a lot of outside artists as well. And they yeah. weren't credited as Beatles. Now the Eagles, every one of those guys, you know, most of the time played, you know, okay, this person's got to jump the guitar. Now they got to right. jump the bass. Now they got to jump the organ. You know, they did it all. And right. they were considered an Eagle after that. So 
you know, that's, that's the difference between them, you know, yeah. but they had to, they were competing against the best. So yeah. they had to be the best at the little things. If they're going to be a piano track, it's got to be the best one. If they're going to do harm harmonics. It's got to be the best one. So right. th- they knew that call it perfectionism, whatever, but th- Hey, that's why it's timeless. Yeah. I mean, they, they use a lot of, uh, they had a lot of people that would write with them. Um, you know, Jackson Brown comes to mind, obviously. Early yeah. And so, and they, uh, JD Souther. And so there's, you know, they've, uh, had a lot of people that would write stuff with them, but yeah, as far as the band themselves, um, yeah, they all, you know, they all definitely contributed and they, um, you know, they did their parts and they did it well. And which of course, you know, Felder, you know, found out firsthand. Yeah. Your, your vocals aren't quite up to snuff. So yeah, even though it's your song, somebody else is going to sing. Yeah. It. But, but everybody does have a chance to shine. Does Felder yeah. sing on this on his, on victim of love? No, but it, we, we all know if you're an Eagles fan, you know, that's, that's his song. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it has it, a signature. Yeah, like I said before, yeah. it has a signature all over it, the guitar. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, okay, so now we come to the longest, <laughs> the longest song on the record. Mm-hmm. Um, once again, uh, written by Henley and uh and um Fry. Legal vocals again by Henley, uh, who dominates the record, which is fine because he probably has the best voice out of all of them. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, the last resort. Um, it's over seven minutes long. It's also, uh, when you first listened, like I said, this record is filled with songs that the more you listen to them, the more there's something going on in them. Um, and this one, the first times a couple through it, I'm like going, what is he talking about? Is he talking about just a, you know, a, a, a bad vacation? Is he talking about, you know, a bad relationship? Is it, you know, what? And then, you know, you really start to read the lyrics. I brought them up because I want to make sure I was getting them right. And it's definitely, once you listen to it, it's, it's, uh, it's the first time we get some political, uh, response out of Henley. Um, mm-hmm. and it, it's, you know, from my take, it's obviously chronicling, uh, how the white man, you know, even references in the song took over America, you know, moved you know West, you know, getting rid of the native Americans and, you know, they keep calling it paradise, but they kept, you know, let's pave the roads, let's knock things down to build our mini malls and our houses and everything else. And, um, you know, one of the last lines in the song, it's like, they call it paradise, but, you know, don't call it paradise because they're just, you know, they're just going to kiss it goodbye. Yeah. And it's, I mean, and man, there's a lot of lyrics to this song too, but it's mm-hmm. really emotional and really serious and definitely as a, a for a song finishing the record, it's a very dark tone. Oh yeah. And well, it, well let's not forget that um, when they went out to, um, to shoot the first album cover for the first record, they were in the desert, right. You know, doing peyote <laughs> and things like that and having a really bad trip. And it, they experienced a lot of that. And I don't want to say that it ended after that first record, um, so I, I think that they continued on with that, with association with, you know, the, you know, the native American people and stuff. And I also say, why not, you know, right. why not throw it on that? Because this one, they were swinging for the fences. I think this was a <laughs> literally out there riding fences, right? <laughs> but this was, um, this is a make or break a record, yeah. you know, it's, Okay, can we do anything else besides the norm? Can we or can we do more than just going out there and doing desperado, take it easy, and peaceful, easy feeling? Can we make a concept record somewhat in the vein of Pink Floyd? Maybe not, but leaving their own interpretations of it. And I, I mean, the last song of an album that can be a concept album is never really the best one sometimes. That's true. Um, That's true. So I don't want to say it's filler, but it's a great kind of epilogue. Yeah. It's, there's a lot going on in there. And cause like I said, mm-hmm. I, I was listening to it a few times. Like I probably listened to the song, the, well, the record at least a dozen times over the last week. And every time this one came on, I kept, you know, what is he talking about? What is he talking about? And yeah, it, it's, it's, it's uh, like I said, you know, uh, Pretty Maids All in a Row is my least favorite track. 
This one's kind of close to that. I mean, yep. it's a good song. It has a lot to say. And like I said, it we get it at the beginning of Don Henley and his environmental causes and and you know his political tone that shows up later in his you know his solo yep. stuff. So and that's all well and good. And I'm always and I'm all about that, you know. I just, you know, it it's like I said, it's not a bad song. I don't necessarily know if it's a good song to end on, but I I couldn't tell you which one would have been better to move. I couldn't tell you where else yeah. the song would go. So uh, uh, yeah, I'm looking at all of them and I don't know possibly life in the fast lane, but it's one of those you kind of really don't want to wait for. But I, I mean, yeah. it's kind of the best spot for it, you know, and the fact that it is the last resort. And yeah. one of the things that uh, um, Henley and Fry said with this, you know, you think you know what this album's about, and this song will definitely be like, well, now we're going to confuse you more. Yeah, right. He said, it's different for everybody and almost everybody makes up what it means to them. And it does mean stuff to them as the band, they go, but it's only between us. It's only right. between the band. So there's a lot, there's obviously a reason for it, but it apparently it is just between them. Yeah. It's, I mean, I, like I said, I'm not going to kick it out. I'm not going to skip mm. it. I mean, it's, you know, great vocals. Again, the lyrics are smart. They're clever. And the, the music is really good. Uh, it's, I, you know, to me, it just feels like, you know, is that how we're going to end? I mean, is that really, mm-hmm. you know, on that, on that note, which I guess in a way kind of makes sense because the, the whole record really isn't upbeat. I mean, there are songs that have music that is kind of upbeat, but necessarily if you, if you look at the, uh, what it, the song is about, then yeah, that's the, the, the mm-hmm. material is not upbeat. It's, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it works and it's, and it's nice. And I'm, and I'm all about musicians um, when they write about a cause, when they write about something that means something to them. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a good song, um, but it's, unfortunately, I think it's probably right around there with pretty maids all in a row as far as uh, Mm -hmm. where it falls for me. Yeah. Um, I mean, like I said, not a bad song, Mm -hmm. um, but uh, it's just, you know, it's not up there. So, okay. So now. The mommy and daddy of it. <laughs> That's right. We're, we're into the meat of this. Uh, the title track, Hotel California. All right. So this was actually the second single off the record. Um, it did reach number one. Now, the funny part about that was, uh, especially this time, um, a six-minute single was not the norm. No. And even Felder kind of was like, this song is too long for the radio. I mean, it's over, you know, it's over a minute before we even get any lyrics. Um, and the radio and the record company did ask them to cut it down, and Henley said no, mm-hmm. leaving it as is. And thank goodness he did because this freaking song is amazing. Um, this is one of the other uh, songs that Felder brought with him with on that demo record uh, or mm-hmm. demo cassette of his, and um, and <sighs> the lyrics are great. Uh, I mean, Henley paints a picture. Yeah. With with the words in this song. I mean, just from the very beginning all the way through. And it is definitely one of those songs that generates discussion about what it's about. Um, and I mean, it is a staple in classic rock uh, music and will always be, you know, one of the greatest and most iconic songs uh, ever. I mean, it's, it's so recognizable. I mean, it, I mean, within a few notes of the, somebody you're going, Oh, that's hotel California. You yeah. Know? So, um, so what really blew me away when I started doing research on this, I even found an article, it was an interview with Felder. Um, like I said, he brought these demos, uh, to, uh, Henley and Fry and I guess, uh, you know, they started putting, put the lyrics to it. And when it came time to record the song, uh, Henley told, uh, Felder said, leave the solo as it is. I want, I don't want you to change it. Um, because when he was working on it, he knew, uh, Walsh was joining the band. So he kind of put down a track, you know, a lead that, uh, he knew that would work for both of them, but that's you know, almost note for note, the original demo lead all the way through. And that's, that's stellar when you think about mm-hmm. that, because that's a great guitar solo. I mean, the, just the last two minutes of the song is freaking spectacular. Yeah. And, and the fact that you have great mixture of fry on the acoustic um i think felder's on the double neck yes and uh walsh is on the fender Mm -hmm. and this like you said this song goes this great guitar solo 
that sounds like it's about to end and it doesn't nope. and it goes again. Yep. And then you think it's going to end again and then it goes again, but you're not upset by it. No. You're not like, Oh, it oh, could have ended. I'm like, it's, it's them. Like, no, we're not done yet. We're not done yet. And yeah, like I said, he does paint a picture. You see pink champagne on ice. Yep. You, you picture it. You, you know, you look at this, cover the inside of the sleeve you see the sweaty guy i mean these guys are probably sweating whiskey and tequila you know coming out of them but you hear it you hear yeah. all of it in this one track and just like all of that just kind of who they are of this this is the band that you want to hang out with you know type of thing like but it did especially, if, especially if you want some cocaine yeah but it upped their game. Yes. They made a, a over six minute track, number one single. It was like you said, we're waiting, we're waiting. They build, they build little acoustic, that little bass, this, that, yeah, just a little taste. Doom, doom. <laughs> and then it kicks in. And then those two are like gunslingers at the right. end of that thing. And it's, they don't stop because it doesn't sound like they want to stop. And I think yeah. they could have gone longer. It's, and it's almost like, who's going to give in first, right? Which right. one's, which one's going to stop playing first, you know? And it's like, who is going to flinch? And you, you hear it in there. Like, I'm not going to stop. Well, I'm not going to stop. And I'm right there with you. I, I only thing I really wish, cause I, when I listen to the live version, I love how they end the live version. I wish when they recorded this, I'm not a big fan of songs that fade out. I'm just, not. yeah, I agree. Um, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. And this particular one, I kind of wish they just would have ended it, you know, because like I said, the, the live version, it just, that den and it just, it just ends so well. And uh, I don't know. I mean, they, I, mean, I could have listened to another minute long of them soloing yeah. back and forth. I really could have, but uh, yeah, it's, this song is so good from beginning to end. There's not a throwaway note. There's not a throwaway lyric. It just, you want to put it in and you just want to listen. You want to transport, like, you know, when I put the record on, I put my headphones on. Yes. And it takes me back to when I was a little kid hearing it for the first time. It takes me back to when, you know, I started, I got my license and when it got in my car and I was, you know, would hear this on the radio and it's just, it, this song doesn't get outdated. It's still as good today as it was when it was released. It, it has legs. It, it does not fade. And I did see read that they've played the song, um, the band, the Eagles, you know, not including, you know, anybody solo have performed the song. Was it 1,038 times? I think I read. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot. It comes in third behind. Um, oh, what was it? Third behind. Oh, here it is. Uh, Desperado, of course, and take it easy. Oh, so yeah. So and what's so even uh, Don uh, Don Felder said he played um, I think it was at a UN meeting or something a UN show or whatever, and here was playing he started playing the song and he's playing it before a bunch of ambassadors from other countries and they all recognized it they all started singing along yeah that's that's you know kind of awesome you know uh, something else about the um, the solo in 1998 the readers of Guitarist magazine rated it as the best guitar solo in, in history now granted that's saying a lot and i'm not going to knock it i mean it's easily one of the most memorable solos and back and forth like that and then yeah yeah so it's uh, there's just so many good things about this song and the only the only bad thing about this song is where they put it on the record because when you put this such such a great song like this at the beginning it's kind of downhill after that oh yeah but you know, it also sets the tone for the rest of the record. So, yeah. you know, it's, you know, give or take, but man, you know, I never get sick of hearing that song. Um, and of course there's always a debate. What's the song about? Have you, have you heard any wacky theories? <laughs> Cause I've heard so many. <laughs> the most that I hear, it's usually about uh, some kind of people find things in the, in the sleeve cover. Oh, that's a Satanist or that's Satan oh. in the corner. And one of yeah, the, the shadowy figure like, in the balcony, yeah, they're like, that's just a shadow, you know? And <laughs> I, I like what you said about like putting on the headphones and stuff, because to really get the effect of this record, yes, you need kind of silence. You need to be able to hear 
because there's so much going on in an Eagles record, even I think in a car, it's kind of difficult to hear everything. Yep. But with, you know, your earbuds or a good set of headphones, you can hear every instrument playing every one of their, you know, voices on the backup vocals. And it just, it's almost like hearing it for the first time again. Yep. And it, you, you as a fan, not only like it more, you find it, you're, you appreciate it a lot more and how much went into it, especially obviously the, the first track there's, there's so much into it. And, yeah. but, um, but yeah, it was, it's such a stellar track. I mean, every year, you know, radio stations used to do the countdown of the 100 greatest songs of rock and roll. Right. And it always flip flopped between this song, um, Stairway to Heaven, and um, I believe uh, Satisfaction by Rolling Stones. So every year it's in competition of what is the greatest rock song. You know, I think once they did that Rolling Stone top 100, I think it was number four or yeah. something on there it was you know it was definitely in the top five yeah i know the record itself the a few times uh that stones the rolling stone magazine did they it was always in the top 30 as mm-hmm. was a total album of all time which doesn't surprise me i mean like i said it was it's my favorite record of the 70s so yeah. but yeah and, and it was 1976 so yeah people love the mysterious and the weird they were you know it was free love <laughs> and drugs and you know and so right Anything that was mysterious did even better, even though it didn't have to be mysterious. You know, they're like, maybe there was no meaning behind the album, you know, right. but it, but the, uh, what are you going to print the, the fact or the legend? Right. Right. Yeah. You know? So I did, uh, was it, I think Henley was actually quoted. It was in an interview. Let's see. Uh, of course they always got asked about what it's about because you, you hear all kinds of things and the, the like I said, the lyrics paint such pictures it gives you questions. And the only thing he ever said was it was a journey from innocence to experience. That's the only thing he would say that it's actually about. So, which I think is brilliant because you can hear it and, you know, things like we're all uh, prisoners here of our own devices and just, you know, just, we haven't had that spirit here since 1969. There's just so many great lines in that song. Yeah. And it just, like I said, you just get the image in your head, you know, just, I don't know. I, I could go on, but I'm not. And the thing is, I think they're saying too, (laughs) that like, we're not a young punk band anymore. Right. You know, we're mature. This is our fifth album. Um, You know, the first record did really well. And even though they said Desperado was, um, yeah, was somewhat of a sort of flop, it yeah. still was a big enough hit and, you know, and then on the border and one of these nights, but they weren't triumphant. This right. album made them triumphant. Yes. And yeah, they probably went through bad managers, money loss, uh, bad girlfriends. Who is your friend? <laughs> you know, people telling you, hey, you're a cog in a machine and your machine, you, you, you need to make records, you, right. you know, and they're letting out their frustration about it and saying, we're not that band from the first record anymore. We're, we're a mature band and we own our own souls now. Yeah. It's, it definitely, um, even Henley made a comment that they peaked with this record, both as collaborators and as friends, which of course we know after, you know, the tour with the long run, it, it all exploded. So, <laughs> so yeah. we, we know that this is in, and they're right. I mean, and, and bands have that every band I think has that yeah. one record where they peak and it's, it's all downhill from that point on. And, you know, breakups or the band breaks up or people leave and it's just, it's never the same. Um, but I'm glad we got this record and I'm glad, you know, you know, Felder joined the band when he did. And, you know, I'm glad that Joe Walsh joined the band when he did, because all those things had to work together yeah, for us to get this spectacular album. Yeah. So. There was this weird thing that happened with my generation in the nineties. Uh, some of these bands from the seventies were getting an, more popular with not just with like the grunge age, you know, because right. these grunge artists talking about them. So we were seeing, uh, you know, it started with Queen just because I think the passing of Freddie Mercury happened in the giant concert, but then the Eagles started to come back out. And that's how I right. heard them. You know, of course, if you didn't have the greatest hits one or two, you just 
you didn't have a, a Columbia house, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, you didn't have your Columbia house filled out. Right. It's like, you just have to have them in your house. Yep. And that's how I started to learn about it. And then things that happened, like the hell freezes over thing and stuff, you know, which worked on not just fully acoustic, little acoustic, a little bit, a little bit of plugged in as well. Right. And I had a big problem because I believe it was March of 95. There were two shows coming to the Cincinnati area on the same <laughs> night. And on that night was the Eagles hell freezes over tour, which would be at, at Riverbend, Right. Or Jimmy page and Robert plant at riverfront Coliseum. I took the chance and went to the Jimmy page, Robert plant one, because I thought this isn't going to go much further than this. Right. I had a little bit more hope in the Eagles. Um, have you gotten to see the Eagles live? Uh, no. Um, it's definitely one of my biggest regrets when it comes to bands to go see live. I was actually working in a CD store when Hell Freezes Over was released. And I got excited um, knowing that they got back together. And it, it's definitely one of those bands I would like to go see. Um, it's just a matter of coughing up the ticket prices, you know, because yeah. back in the nineties, you know, and hell, even in the eighties, you know, I remember going to see shows down, you know, local clubs or whatever for 10 bucks or 15 mm-hmm. bucks. I mean, I'm even going to see Metallica when they headlined on the justice tour, it was like 30 some dollars for tickets, yeah. man. It's, it is not that anymore. So, I mean, no. you got to figure the Eagles tickets are a couple hundred dollars. So, yeah. you know, but I would, I would, you know, that one of the, actually their live record is probably one of my favorite live albums because I was going to say that I amazing. really, I mean, I, I really do enjoy, um, I guess an authentic one tour record. That's, mm-hmm. that's a live record, but I'm okay that this one jumps around. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. It jumps around from the long run tour to, I believe the hotel California tour. And so I, I you know, at first I was confused. I'm like, wait a minute how many bass players are in the Eagles? <laughs> you know, I'm like, hold on. I'm like, this is the, this is from different tours, but you do get the best of kind of all of them with, yeah. with that, with that uh, live record. That's what I really like. And, and it's each person at their best. It's, it's the best version. I think of hotel California. It's the best version of take it easy and definitely take it to the limit with right. all of them singing. And another one of those, we're not ready to end the song yet. We're going to keep this going <laughs> and keep it. It just, but yeah, it, I, I, you know, they're coming out here for a couple of shows, of the forum. I, um, I'm going to see, uh, if, if my wallet goes that deep <laughs> right? Uh, and see, uh, I I'm very interested to see how Glenn Fry's son does in his shoes, right, but, right. um, but, yeah. uh, it, it'd be something to see. I know they did this album in its entirety, I think in Vegas on, on its 40th anniversary. I, and I'm sure that one, because the venues, the venues are big in Vegas, but they're not that big. So right. it's going to be, and so it's going to be a little bit, you know, uh, tighter and obviously more expensive. Well, obviously. Mm-hmm. All right. So a couple more things I want to mention about the record itself. Um, the cover, uh, that iconic image is the Beverly Hills hotel. Um, it was photographed by David Alexander, um, the interior picture and the back, uh, the record picture of the lobby is from the Lido hotel in Hollywood. The inside, uh, when you open up the gatefold, has the band pictured there along with, apparently it's a bunch of their friends. That was Henley's idea. He wanted all, all kinds of people in there with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so they invited all their friends. And of course, you have that, that like you mentioned before, that shadowy figure up in the balcony that's been the uh, cause of so many debates. I remember when I was a kid, I would hear people say, oh, it's supposed to be the devil or it's supposed to be Aleister yeah. Crowley and all sort of stuff. I'm like going, really? Don't you have something better to do than worry about yeah. that? So, <laughs> you know, it's just like, you got to be kidding me. Um, and we mentioned earlier that it's, um, the whole concept record idea, uh, the theme uh, keep popping up, loss of innocence, the perils of fame and excess, the cost of, uh, naivete, which I thought that was an interesting word that they used, but, uh, there was one more thing I wanted to mention that I thought was interesting. Let me see if I can find it. Here we go. This is a quote from Henley himself. Let's see. Uh, the exploration of the dark underbelly of American dream, idealism realized, idealism thwarted, illusions versus reality, the difficulties of balancing loving relationships and work, trying to square uh, the conflicting relationship between business and art, 
the corruption in politics, the fading away of the 60s dream of peace, love, and understanding. I'm like, wow, that's some heavy words. <laughs> that's why he writes the songs. Right, exactly. And I mean, I, I, I love the cover. I love the, the, the neon sign of the Eagles um, there, uh, Hotel California. It, you know, it, it's. One thing I've always know. admired about the band is that they've never been flashy. That's they, very true. <laughs> is very, Glenn, very true. Glenn Fry said, he goes, he goes, the Eagles have always, uh, somebody said the Eagles look like a band that loitered on stage. <laughs> and I was like, what are these guys doing here? They're in like Colorado university t-shirts and that you look like they just came in from the truck, almost like they were doing, these are the guys that are testing the equipment right, for somebody for else to come out. Right, and I, and I almost feel like that the Eagles are the band that every dad garage band tried to do. They tried to be what the Eagles were. Yeah, and I think they were the first really successful. Just a couple of guys that like music that get together and play just good old fashioned, you know, honky tonk rock and roll. Yeah, yeah. And problem is they pulled it off with timeless songs. I know, right? It is funny. Uh, you mentioned how they, they're dressed because I just got picked up a copy of a, a whole magazine about the Eagles from uh, uh, Time Life. And it's um, flipping through the pictures, like every one of the pictures, I mean, obviously they're from the mid 70s. You know, it's the jeans and just uh, not quite flannel, almost like country Western t shirts yeah. or button down shirts and uh, the shaggy long hair. Uh, the beards and there's a great picture of uh, Bernie Leiden walking out of a guitar store um, with a guy standing in the window, looking in the window, a guy in a suit. And it's like, you're thinking, you know, here's the guy that's making a living, you know, playing the guitars in here. And there's a guy staring at, you know, the guitars wearing the suit, you know, the you know business guy. And just, you know, you're thinking the guy's looking at the guitars probably listens to the Eagles and doesn't realize that when the guitar players and family members just walk past him, yeah, you know, cause he, you know, they, they just, they, you know, they were the Eagles they, and they weren't known for until later. They weren't known as individuals, you know? Yeah. And they have a look that I feel that some people try to replicate a, a lot more expensive, you know, yeah. it's like you try to get that look that the Eagles had that relaxed. Uh, oh, I'm just a, I'm just a guy like the rest of you guys, but they put a lot more work. In it. it just flowed naturally for the Eagles. Yeah. You're just like, this is, this is, we're not messing around. We're not going out in leather. We're not teasing up our stuff. We're going to come out there in our jeans, just put our sunglasses, not even take them off. Glenn, Glenn Fry would just take his sunglasses and just, I'm going to just put them on top of my head. Yeah, you, you know, like we're just going to come out, sing some songs for y'all. You know, it's like, it's almost like when you go to an Eagle show or you hear the music, it's almost like it could be played at a campground <laughs> in front of a fire. It just, it, it works in front of a fire. Yeah, I, I definitely see that. I definitely said I would love to go sit in front, sit in the campfire with the mm -hmm. Eagles playing music. That would definitely be a treat, no yeah. doubt. So, all right. Any final words on the Hotel California? I'd say prepping for this episode made me appreciate the lesser known tracks. Yes, of this, you know, absolutely. The the, the, the Meisner track, the, the Victim of Love, and you know, and the Joe Walsh, and it made me want to really deep dive into this band's longevity. You know, yeah. Six or, you know, a seventh studio double album later, you know, in the 20, you know, 18s or whatever. But those six albums, yes. you know, to they're not too long, they're not too short. They're just right. Yeah. And it's it's six albums that are solid. I have to say, like, are is every track a winner? Maybe not. But these six albums are solid. Absolutely. So many bands can say that. Right. I mean, the string together, I mean, they had so many in such a short amount of time, which is why their greatest hits, the 71 through 75, sold so many records because yeah. there's so, I mean, every every song on there is a winner. Every song on there, people know. And yeah, I mean, I've just only begun to pick up the vinyl copies of their older stuff. Um, I picked up on the border. I have the long run, of course, Hotel California and the live record. Mm. And uh, growing up as a kid, you know, when I got, we had the, aside from Hotel California, we had the greatest hits cassette. And later, I believe I had the CD at one point. Um, but yeah, they, they put together so many good songs and records in such a short amount of time. I mean, think about yeah. that from 71 
through you know uh, seventy eight, I think is when uh, they yeah, released. Yeah, I think that was so. And then of course you had the live album after that. But man, um, that's a lot of great music in a very short amount of time. So mm-hmm. this record to me, it, like I said before, is my favorite record of the seventies. It's one of the most recognizable um, from the cover to the opening note. And um, I am so glad I was alive during its release and, you know, have the Eagles actually come back again and still uh, perform. So I'm, I, if I can, if they come nearby near, I will make an effort to justify those ticket prices. Yeah. And I don't care how tough of a guy you are. It is really hard to not sing along. Oh, absolutely. Those songs. I'm any, every one of them, any one of them, they just, it just makes you want to be like, ah, that's such a great, you know, it just, it gets you in the mood. It's, it, yeah. it does it. If you say a peaceful, easy feeling. Yeah. They kind of, you know, it is a, a band that everybody likes. Well, I mean, the dude doesn't like them, but you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> let's, not get into, guy. let's not get into that. Let's not get into the dude and his <laughs> hatred for the Eagles. All right. Well, uh, Brad, this was a lot of fun. I love talking this about this. Was. And, this was uh, a great experiment to yes. uh, dive into. Yes. And uh, we will look forward to doing more of these. And uh, anybody listening and everybody listening, if you like what you hear, uh, definitely tell a friend about us um, and you can find us on, you know, uh, on social media as well. And Brad, thank you for joining me and we will thank do you for this. Having me. Well, absolutely. And I'm sure we'll do this again very soon. Sounds great. All right. I've been Dayton Johnson. And I'm Brad Cozo. Good night. This has been the Docking Bay 77 podcast. Opening music provided by Eric Jason Brock. Check him out on YouTube and Bandcamp. If you want to reach out to us on social media, we are on Twitter and Facebook at Docking Bay 77 Podcast. Or you can send us an email, Docking Bay 77 Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.